So we're continuing today in our online series on the Synoptic Gospels. We've actually come to our second last session on the Synoptics. And today we're going to be looking at the authority of Jesus and how the authority of Jesus was a major theme throughout the writings of the Synoptic authors and also the Gospel of John. We're going to see how that plays out in his teaching, in his ministry, and then most notably in his resurrection and ascension, the authority that Christ held and carried as the Messiah. Also wanted to let you know that next time we're going to be doing a special question and answer pod with Pastor Dean. So if you've been following along with the Synoptic series here online and you'd love to ask a question, maybe you've been thinking about something, you'd love uh, love to hear me and Dean enter into a conversation around that, you can write it in the comments section if you have a question. Also, you can email us at podcast at truenorthonline.com. We'd love to hear your questions and, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to bring some insights into what you have to send through. But as I mentioned today, we're looking uh, we're looking at the authority uh, of Jesus and how it really is a significant uh, a significant aspect of who Jesus is that the gospel authors make a strong comment about and around. Now, in particular, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see this showing up in a really clear way, and it makes a lot of sense when we remember, I guess, the secondary objective of Matthew as he's writing to a Jewish audience to convince them that Jesus of Nazareth was the promised Messiah, that he is the Messianic King. So. So it makes a lot of sense that Matthew in particular leans more heavily into revealing Jesus and the authority that he carried as the Messiah. Now, one of the really significant pictures that we have in Matthew, it's also in some of the other, other gospel accounts as well, but the way it's introduced in Matthew is very significant. And it's a, it's an aspect in Jesus's teaching that would be quite familiar to any of us that have spent time in the New Testament. And it is, of course, the the Sermon on the Mount. And only Matthew introduces it in this way. And he actually describes it in this way at the start of chapter 5. And it says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now there's a, there's a significance here that Matthew draws towards the fact that Jesus goes up to the mountainside. Now, what Matthew's actually doing is making a literary parallel here with a figure who currently up to this point was probably the most central figure in the the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion, and that is the man of God, Moses. Now, we consider Moses, he's, uh, I guess, in a lot of ways, a hero of the Jewish faith. He leads them out of captivity in Egypt into the the promised freedom that God had for them. Uh, And also, Moses is the one that goes up to the mountaintop to receive the Torah, to receive the Lord, which to receive the law, which became the framework for how their faith, how their covenant with God would work in the day to day as who they were as the people of God. So Moses is this incredibly central figure. And you see this symbolic parallel here between Moses receiving the law on the mountaintop and now Jesus going to the mountaintop to refine, to bring new definition, to bring new clarity to what the law really was as a rabbi and of course as our Messiah. And the the Sermon on the Mount, you, you see this in, in a a couple of really notable ways where where Jesus repeatedly will use the expression, you have heard it said, and he's referencing the Old Testament law provided by God through Moses, but then he'll take that and then he'll say, but I say to you, for example, one of the spaces where, where Jesus does this is he's having a conversation around murder. He says, you have heard it said, do not murder. One of the, the Ten Commandments, really clear law, really clear boundaries. But then Jesus adds to it. He says, anyone who responds in 
anger to another person is actually in a place of judgment as well, that they've fallen short of the mark. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is moving away from the, I guess, the the set boundaries of the law or the letter of the law and taking it to the place of the heart, that Christ's heart for us is that we would treat people with an attitude of love, not that of anger, hatred, or judgment that I guess most ultimately expresses itself in its most damaging way in the, the desire to take someone's life completely. So we see that Jesus here, he takes the law and he does something new with it. Now, this idea of bringing a fresh perspective around the law was not totally uncommon for for a rabbi uh, that carried the same authority of Jesus. In fact, in in many cases, it it was quite normative that a rabbi in the position of Jesus would actually add a fresh perspective to the laws of Scripture. But Jesus really went beyond that. Now, one really striking example of this that we see uh, in both... Uh in both Matthew and Luke, is uh, is a moment where where Jesus is confronted by uh, a particular individual and says, "What is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment?" and and Jesus responds by by stating what is the the Jewish Shema, which was a, a prayer that they prayed twice daily, which was a was which was a reference towards who God was, who they were in relation to God, and and he begins with this Shema. And it was kind of the the centerpiece that captured the entirety of the law of the prophets and really became the core, uh, a core expression of who they were. And it was simply this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is God. And, it, and then as a follow-on, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And that was the, the, the essence, the core of that Jewish Shema. Now, Jesus responds to, to teach you what is the greatest commandment by providing this Shema, which would have been to, to the teachers of the law at the time, to the Pharisees, like, yep, spot on, that is the right answer. But then Jesus does something amazing here. He actually adds to the Shema. Now remember, this is the the foundation. This symbolically captured the entirety uh, of the law. The prophets all hung on this. And then Jesus adds to it and he adds love. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, the sum of the prophets and the law all hangs on this. So Jesus does something incredibly profound here, taking the absolute core uh, of the law and actually bringing fresh perspective, actually adding to it. It's almost audacious as a rabbi to do this. But what it pointed to was the incredible authority that Jesus had and the, the teaching that he carried, the way he was prepared to speak and communicate. And people responded to it, acknowledged it, that, that Jesus teaches with, a, with an authority that we have not seen before. Now, what did Jesus then do with that authority that he had? We've seen in, in some of our earlier pods here in the Synoptic Gospels that, that Jesus as a king did not do what everyone else expected him to do. And when we think about Jesus in this position through the, the resurrection, the ascension, seated at the right hand of God, he has access to, to I guess, universal authority. There's nothing above, nothing greater than the name of Jesus. But what Jesus does with that authority is completely unexpected, particularly to the world that Jesus lived in, uh, in ancient Galilee. So here's what Jesus does with that. And here's the the first place that I want to start as an application of Jesus's authority. And we're going to begin with, I guess, the journey of ancient Israel. Now, a long time ago, I was uh, studying a particular unit through Bible college on an intro to the Old Testament. And one of the assignments that I had to do, and for one reason or another, this one's always hung with me, was to answer this question. Do you believe that ancient Israel was successful in its mission to be a blessing to all nations. 
Now, this question was based on the, the original covenant relationship between God and Abraham. We said, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be a mighty nation. And, and through you, all nations are going to be blessed. So this idea of being blessed to be a blessing comes from that original covenant relationship between Abraham and God. And so my task was to, to develop an argument uh, to say, okay, was ancient Israel, as we see their story throughout the Old Testament, were they successful in becoming the people of God that carried the blessings of God? Interesting question. Here, here was my, my perspective on it. I kind of approached it with a no but yes. And the, the, I guess the basis of my thinking as I follow the story of God's people throughout Scripture, time and time again, you see amazing moments where, where it seems as if the people of God are finally stepping in to that place of influence in their world where they will carry the blessings of the kingdom of God. But alongside that, time and time again, we see an abandonment of God. We see an abandonment of the blessings of God. And, and there's, I guess, a, in my mind, a, a story of getting close and then getting further away, then getting close and getting further away. And so, so my perspective through the Old Testament and the story of ancient Israel is probably not. They probably never quite became the people of God that would fully carry the blessings of God on behalf of the world. But then here was the, the no but yes part of my argument, is that when we consider who Jesus is, that Jesus remembering is from the line of Israel, of course, that he's from the line of Judah, from Jesse, from David. One of my favorite names for Jesus is the lion from the house of Judah. And uh, so remember that Jesus is, is, the, is a generational fulfillment of what Israel was called to do all the way back in Abraham. So in my mind, because of what Jesus did upon the cross, and bringing the love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, removing the enmity between all people and God, that, that Jesus then brings fulfillment to the ancient missional objective that was first given to Abraham for all of Israel to be the blessings of God to the nations of the world. Now in Christ, I see the fulfillment of that upon the cross through the resurrection, through the ascension. Now here's why I tell this story. When we consider the authority of Jesus, that upon the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus has the authority to redeem and renew some 1800 years of the people of God, Israel, getting close to becoming who God called them to be, but never quite getting there. They just kept falling short. Jesus re redeems and restores 18 generations of not quite getting there. He re redeems and restores nearly 2000 years of the people of God not quite getting there, that Jesus has the authority to completely renew, to completely restore the ancient calling of all of Israel upon the cross. That's what he had the authority to do. Now, let's think of it in a little bit more of a personal way. There's another great story contained within the Synoptic Gospels and one that you might be familiar with. And, uh, and if not, it comes from, we see it in each of the Synoptics in Matthew chapter 9, in Mark chapter 2, and in Luke chapter 5, where there's this incredible story where Jesus heals uh, a paralyzed man. We've actually looked at this story through our Sunday services here at True North as well. And if you're, if you're not familiar with the story, Jesus is teaching in a particular village and four men come to Jesus carrying their paralyzed friend and they have the absolute expectation that if they can get their friend to Jesus 
he will be healed no matter what. They operated with an absolute faith and absolute certainty. And they come to Jesus expecting that their paralyzed friend would be healed and would be able to walk and, and would be completely restored. And they have some challenges in the story. There's a great crowd. They can't quite get there. And, and the, the reason we remember this story for a lot of us is that what they decide to do is climb onto the roof, dig through the roof, rip out the tiles, and actually lower their friend right down in front of Jesus. Now, the, that's probably the memorable part of this story, but the really key moment in this story is also about authority. So Jesus says to the, to the man as he comes down to his feet, he doesn't immediately heal him and say, rise up and walk. He actually forgives him of his sin. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's Pharisees, there's teachers of the law here as well. And when Jesus does this, they react in, a, in quite a strong way. And they start thinking to themselves, how can Jesus do this? He doesn't have the authority to forgive sins. He can't do that. The, the requirements of the law have to be met in order for this person to be redeemed. He can't just be forgiving sins. And then Jesus knows what they're thinking in his heart. And he responds to them with this great question. I love this question when we consider the authority of Jesus and what he has the authority to achieve. He says, what's easier, to forgive an individual's sins or to tell a paralyzed man to rise up, pick up your mat and walk out of here? Now, when I first uh, first read this passage of scripture, in my mind, I was like, okay, the easiest thing to do is to tell someone that they're forgiven. The easiest thing by far is to say, yep, friend, you're forgiven. It is incredibly difficult to miraculously heal someone from paralysis. But then I reflect on the question that Jesus asks a little bit more deeply. And I wonder about the comment that he's making about his authority. Because the next thing that Jesus says is, but so you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. He then turns to the paralyzed man and says, rise up, Walk, pick up your mat, get out of here. Now, here's what I see in this in this picture, that the, 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 Phar- the Pharisees, they're struggling to reconcile and they're so offended that Jesus thinks he has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus asks the question, which is harder? Now, what I think at- Jesus was actually pointing to, this is how I read the text. You, you may differ in your, your insight as you read the scripture. But I believe the comment that Jesus is making is that it's actually more difficult to forgive sin. So let's say that there's a brokenness in relationship between me and God. There's only one individual that can fix that broken relationship, and that's God, because that's where the brokenness is. So it's incredibly difficult for the forgiveness of sins between me and God, because there is only one that can do it, and that's God. If we think about the the capacity to, to heal someone from that kind of illness, there'd been stories through the prophets of similar miraculous healings and evidences of God's power. There'd been stories of, of miraculous provision, but there's never been a story of anyone forgiving the sin that exists in the heart of man and between God, except through God himself. Yet here is Jesus declaring that he has the authority to forgive sin. And so he forgives the man's sin. And then as more as a a bonus, so you know I have the authority, young man, rise up and walk. So Jesus makes a powerful statement about the authority that he carries. Now, this story that we see here in the synoptics, it, it exists as a foreshadowing or a foretelling of what Jesus is ultimately going to provide upon the cross, that Jesus declares he has the authority to forgive, to renew, and to restore. And then upon the cross, that is exactly 
what he has set about doing, is that he now is operating to take hold of the missional calling of Israel, to carry the blessings of God to all the world, and he's declaring that he has the authority to repair the broken relationship between mankind and God. So one of the the key things that when we think about, okay, Jesus holds this incredible authority as the Son of God, and the very first thing that he does with it is redeems mankind. And he is the only one that has the capacity to do it. He is the only one that is in the position to do it. So Jesus wielding the most powerful authority in all of creation uses that authority quite literally to forgive me to renew me, to take away the thing that separates me from the love of my Father. And that's the authority of Jesus. And that's a a huge part of what the synoptic authors are trying to communicate, that Jesus does indeed have the authority to forgive sins, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one that has the capacity to do it, and he has done it. So we're going to wrap up uh, our time here today, but I, I want to encourage you again, if you're, you're still here listening with us, to, to think through some questions, to send them through to us. Once again, if you, if you want to do that, you can, uh, you can message us right here in the comments or you can email us at podcasts at truenorthonline.com and we'd love to continue the conversation. But I encourage you to keep engaging in scripture, keep following along in the story of the gospels and, and stay fresh in the, the story of Jesus and the message of the gospels expressed through our synoptic authors. 